0: If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the annual plan and also to download a training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, Compliance fines, and more. So, I attended an accounts payable conference in May where I had a few speaking sessions where I talked about uh, the vendor process and how authentication techniques, internal controls, and best practices can help vendor teams avoid fraud, regulatory fines, and best practices. Now, when I go, I like to talk to as many people as I can, and sometimes uh, I am still so surprised about how many are not doing some of the more well known uh, vendor process steps. So today I'm going to talk about three. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 191, three of the biggest mistakes uh, vendor teams make. So like I said, I attended a uh, or an accounts payable conference in May, and it was in Florida, and it was in person, and it was very well attended. And I actually love going to conferences because my introvert turns into an extrovert, and I talked to everyone. So I had three speaking sessions, might've been four. And then outside of that, actually within the speaking sessions, and then just outside of that, I talked to other accounts payable uh, practitioners uh, just to see what their pain points are. And I just love talking accounts payable and especially vendors. And so uh, I did that. But I was still, and I I don't know why I'm still so surprised uh, because I know what the issues are in accounts payable. It's hard to do some of these things. Um, But there are three basic things that really need to be done that have been around and uh, forever and people are doing them, but still not everyone. And I just don't get that because especially now post-pandemic, Fraud is still trending up. And so doing a specific tasks in, ven- in the vendor setup and maintenance process can help you avoid fraud and then continue to help you avoid compliance fines and just overall bad vendor data, which could lead to duplicate payments. I don't talk about that as often as I should. So there are really three things that I want to talk about, but I do want to acknowledge first because it happened to me too, right? Many vendor team members or team leaders or managers most likely started in the larger accounts payable range or function. And accounts payable is a function that you just don't major in. And even when you get training in accounts payable, it's not accounting system or ERP specific. That's usually on the job. So you have to figure out how to make what you want to do work in that particular system. And even if you find someone, because I mentioned the conference, and they didn't do it this year, but in past years, they have had organized breakout sessions by ERP. But even when you do that, it can be helpful. But so many different companies or so many companies that have the same accounting system or ERP, have it configured completely different. So, if anyone is out there with SAP, you know what I'm talking about. But it can be with any uh, version of uh, of, a, of a system, right? You can turn, you can make certain fields required. You can link uh, some of the vendor master fields back to the customer side. So, there's just so many options. Even if you have the same accounting system or ERP and the same version of it, and so. A lot of what you're doing is on-the-job learning, on-the-job training, and as there's turnover of team members, and I know that has been a big concern this year, then it's on-the-job, you know, person-to-person training. Um, Hopefully you have desktop procedures, especially if you've been impacted by the great resignation because one of the fears, right, is that you have a very knowledgeable team member that exits out of the door without fully training their replacement because maybe you weren't able to hire anyone in time before that person left. So some of the activities that were being done were lost and are no longer being done. But I will say the three that I have here, I thought that they were top of mind for every vendor team. So we're gonna start with the first one. And the first one is vendor validations. I talked with more than I wanna admit that we're not doing the IRS 10 match. I thought everyone was doing that. I actually had to give out the website a couple of times for irs.gov e-services in order to sign up to do it. And it's free on their site too, um, by the way. And if you are one of the ones that are not doing it yet, let me explain why you want to do it. One, you want to collect the W-9 and the W-9 will have the legal name and the, uh, vendor's tax ID on it. And you want to compare that legal name tax ID combination with IRS records. And you want to do that for two reasons. One, because you want to make sure that it matches. So if that vendor is reportable, then when you do your filing, uh, you won't get a notification back from the IRS saying that the legal name tax ID combination that you filed is not valid. And so at that point, now you've got to go through a whole nother manual process to send out the B notices to the vendors to collect W-9s. And that is very manual. And you don't want to do that So you want to make sure that you do that IRS 10 match. The other thing that it does, because I know some folks will say, well, my vendor is not reportable or you're not going to pay my vendor more than $600 for the year. And everyone seems to know that threshold for reporting 1099s, even though some payment types have lower thresholds. And neither you nor they, and when I say they, I mean your vendor or your internal employee that's pushing back on submitting that W-9, which sometimes the internal employees can be worse than the vendors. But no one knows how much you're actually going to pay that vendor. Uh, It's June now at the time of the publishing of this podcast. How do you know that between June and December that there's not going to be an unexpected purchase of goods or services that you're going to pay the vendor. And you can't always say too that you don't need one because it's a corporation because in some cases... For certain types of payments, even if they the company is a corporation, they're still reportable. And so you always need to collect that W-9 and do the 10 match to make sure that the legal name and tax ID match. So if you have to end up reporting on them, you won't get a notification from the IRS. But the other big reason is you just want to make sure that that vendor is real. You want to put a roadblock between you and fraudsters by requiring that W-9 and requiring it to be signed even though The IRS does not require that you collect the W-9 to get the tax ID. Technically, you could get that over the phone for payments that are reportable on the 1099 MISC and the 1099 NEC, right? But you wanna collect that form and you want to require it to be signed so that you can put at least one more obstacle between you and a fraudster that's trying to get by. And if you put an obstacle like the W-9 nine and required to be signed in their way, they will just go to the next potential victim that is not asking for that. So you do want to collect the W nine. You do want to do the IRS 10 match. But that's just one of the validations and that IRS 10 match is free and I have four other free validations that you should be doing if your company is a U.S. entity. And I do have a webinar coming up on uh, June 21st and I'll put a link to that webinar in the the show notes. But even if you're listening to this after June 21st, uh, it will be a recording or it will be on demand. It'll be recorded. And so you can listen to it at your convenience and it is only 30 minutes. So it's not a big part of your day or won't take out a big part of your day. So make sure you register for that. And if you're not able to attend live, you'll get a link to the recording. Or you can just go on my website, DeborahRRichardson.com. Again, that will be in the show notes. And you can navigate to the webinars page whenever you go and either register for the live or uh, register to watch on-demand recording. So I'll have five uh, vendor validations that are free that every U S entity should be doing like no matter what. And IRS 10 check is one of them. So you got four more of that you can learn about. All right. So that was one. The second one is not inactivating vendors. That actually is a big one this one i kind of do understand because it is a mostly manual process and why do you want to inactivate your vendors really on a consistent basis Uh, that is because the less active vendors you have in your vendor master file the less vendors that you have that are accessible for both internal and external fraud not only that but after a certain period of time that information is considered stale. And if you haven't done business with a vendor and let's say 15, 18, or 24 months, whatever works for your company, consider that information stale and inactivate that vendor. That means that if the vendor or if your company wants to do business with that vendor in the future, then you're going to collect all new supporting documentation Perform your validations. And again, don't forget to register for that webinar for the five validations, or actually you know one, the four that you'll learn of, new ones that you'll learn of. Um, But do those validations and just make sure that that information is still valid. Sometimes even vendors that you are doing business with Will not notify you or will notify whoever they have a relationship with in the company, and then that information does not make it to AP. So, if you've got vendors you haven't done business with in again 15, 18, or 24 months, you need to inactivate those vendors. Now, what do I consider an inactive vendor? That is a vendor that has not had invoice activity, payment activity. Uh, purchase order activity. And then I also like to look at the last modified or um, modified date on the vendor record, because the whole point is to make sure that the vendor's information is updated. And if they've already updated it, then you can take into consideration that activity because maybe they know that they're going to, you know, supply your company with some goods and, you know, a purchase order is coming. And so they want to make sure their information is up to date. So if they've already done that, you can take that into consideration. Now I get asked quite frequently how often this process or inactivation process needs to be done. Uh, And my answer is always monthly. And then I get like these looks because I do understand that many of these accounting system and ERPs don't have an automated way to inactivate vendors based on 18 months or 24 months or 15 months of inactivity. And that means that it's a manual process, and it could be as manual as exporting reports or data from your accounting system or ERP, consolidating that information into an Excel or Google Sheets file, and then doing that manual analysis. Uh, I will say though that I do have something to help you here too. And I'll put a link to two uh, on-demand webinars that I have on YouTube where you can just, uh, I have it time-stamped, and you can just skip around to where you want. But the first one is eight steps to clean your vendor master file when you're doing it manually. And it does talk about how to inactivate your vendors as step one. And then I have a second one that uh, I walk through tools that I use when I clean my uh, my client's vendor master file. So you'll get the process in one webinar. And then you'll get some tools that you can use in another webinar. And a great example of that is if you want to check for like duplicate vendors, but you have, you know, your vendor list and you have your vendor name, somebody fat fingered the name or somebody put the, the, you know, in one of the vendors records that is a duplicate, but you won't find it because when you sort it, it's not going to sort in order. So I've got a tool for that. So look for the links to those webinars in the show notes as well. And then the last one, the number three that I have as the third biggest mistakes that vendor teams make is training and security awareness. Now I do understand that your IT teams, that your security or InfoSec security teams or whomever it is at your company that handles your security awareness they may have some training in place. And I know it fluctuates between companies at how often that training is done and who gets that training. And there's also, and maybe your company does this as well, where they do these phishing tests, right? To see who clicks on the link and then that person gets extra training. So I do know that that's out there. Not every company does it and not every company does it very often. And so what you need to do and your team members need to do is just to make sure that you are staying up to date on fraud trends, right? The new scam alerts uh, that are out there, because every time we get something and, and put an internal control in place, fraudsters, cyber criminals will find a way around it. It is always evolving. And so you need do need to be kept up to date on these new scams, which uh, since the beginning of the pandemic a couple years ago, I have been posting new scam alerts on my site, at least two to three per week, and sometimes more. And when these new scam alerts come out, these are things that are reported by the FBI, by the IRS, and other organizations and media outlets. And when they report those, it means that they've seen those or other people have experienced them and reported reported them. And so they are trying to get that awareness out. So a great example, and this came up at the conference too, because I did include it in, in a couple of my presentations is that in May of 2021, there was a new scam alert that came out that said phishing scammers remove external email warnings impersonating internal users. So that means that those warm fuzzies that you get from uh, getting an email from who you think is an internal employee because there was no external email indicator on it doesn't mean that that's your vendor or that's your internal team member. It could be a fraudster, a cyber criminal that was able to use that CSS code. And I don't, I don't know how to do it, but they have figured out how to use CSS code to remove that external email indicator. Now, had you been, you know, looking for those new scam alerts, you would have seen that and would have known about that back in May of 2021. And then another example, uh, and this one came out, I've been posting new scam alerts for a few years now, but this one came out in September, 2019. And this one was the phishing abuse of the HTTPS. So you know how, you know, we had always been told previously that if you see an HTTPS and that lock on the uh, website and in the address that it is secure. Well, it turns out that the folks that issue those certificates are not doing their due diligence on these websites and the owners of them. And so you could definitely have a spoofing website or a phishing website, a fraudulent website, that has that HTTPS on it. So you do need to keep you and your team members in the loop of these new frauds, new scams, so that you can recognize it uh, when you see it, or you can take precautions uh, if there is any other red flags, for example, on an email that you think is from your internal team member because there is no external email indicator. So just like the other two, I do have some assistance or resources for you. Uh, what I will do is I will put in the show notes a couple of different places where you can go to uh, look for new scam alerts or sign up for new uh, scam alerts. One is going to be the FBI Internet Crime Complaint Center alerts, and they have both an industry and a consumer alerts page. And then also the IRS has a tax scam slash consumer alerts page, and I'll include the link to that website as well. And they did have a nice posting that was uh, back in April, and it was all about phone Scams because the IRS is well aware, and people report to them all the time that they get calls from fraudsters or cyber criminals, and they, you know, threaten to arrest them or put them in jail if they don't pay their balance due via a gift card, right? And so the IRS put a a listing or a posting out there that said what they will and won't do and when they will and won't call you. And it was pretty good. Now, I will also include a link to my site to the new scam alerts page because I include the FBI, IRS... Uh, scam alerts on my site, along with other resources that I have. And if you sign up for the new scam alerts, like you can go to the site and you'll see them, it's a lot. Um, but you can sign up to be notified whenever I post new scam alerts. And so, when I post a scam alert uh, the very next day, you get an email with a list of all the scam alerts that I posted the prior day. And I usually post once or twice per week, it's at least once. And again, That is at least with two to three per week. It is still staying steady. All right. So those are what I consider the three biggest mistakes that vendor teams are making, especially when there are no cost options to do them. Again, I know that there are some pain points out there, but I hope that the resources that I just provided will help. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 191st episode of the Putting the APN Happy podcast where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy.